Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, I have uh, some personal stories about Gideon's. It, uh, it helped get me through basic training. Got one of those before I went into basic training. And uh, also had a couple songs in there. How Great Thou Art. And one of the lines in that said, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. I prayed that all the time, that I would be in safety, and that I I used it not as going home to heaven, but coming back home to here, and it helped me to hang on, and tears would well my eyes when I would sing, How Great Thou Art. Um, I specifically like the story, though, that was shared the other night, and uh, I got to hear Andy laugh out loud, (laughs) because it talked about they was handing them out in Brazil. And a young guy come walking across, and they kept smelling something that was familiar, but they couldn't make out what it was. And then one of these students walked by in his uh, suit and everything, and they tried to hand him the New Testament. And he said, I do not want this. And he started cursing them in Spanish. And he said, I show you what I do with your Bible. And he threw it as hard as he could on the top of the building that was across the street. Oh, they, they, he went on, and the Gideons were standing there talking about that. And about an hour later, here comes Luis, covered in tar. And he said, I was directed to you guys because I was working on the roof, patching it. And was thinking about my life, and it's worthless, and I wanted to commit suicide But God hit me in the head with this. And they said to see you. Wow, how God works. Um, It's very moving. And I can just picture that guy. God hit me in the head. (laughs) You know, and uh, how he can take anything and use it for his good. So let's, let's go into a word of prayer for the word of God today. Not only that the Gideons hand out, but what we're about to study. Father, thank you for this day and the many wonderful blessings of life. Thank you that you've given us the health, the strength, and the desire to be out here this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth and to uncover some things in your word that you wrote thousands of years ago that you had in your mind and your heart for who knows infinity of time passed before time started. But you knew that New Life in Perrigan, Indiana would be studying Judges 15 today. And Father, we pray that whatever it was in this section of scriptures, that you'll open our, our eyes, our ears, and our minds to be able to see, hear, understand, and apply those things that you have there for us. May we be challenged by what we're about to study, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, let's take a look at one of the most remarkable characters that there is in Scripture. It's an epic story of all kinds of different things, about revenge, about love, about anger. In the book of Judges, there's many stories. We find Gideon in the book of Judges, but I'm not going to talk about Gideon today. I want to talk about Samson. Everybody's familiar with Samson. 
This dates me. There's a few of my classmates over here from the class of 79. Can you believe that it was 1978 when the Pointer Sisters came out with fire? You remember that one line in there about Romeo and Juliet, Samson and Delilah? See, even the pop songwriters know about Samson and Delilah. But today, we're not even going to study about that. We're going to study about some weird things, some crazy things, crazy things like what happens in our life every day. And you say, how does this go on? But it did. And maybe we can learn a few things about this. So if you're there in Judges 15 and turn there with us, everyone's heard of this story. And what I want to talk about today in rejected love in anger, bitterness, and revenge, everything that you find in TV dramas today, we have right here in Judges 15. First thing I want to talk about is forgiving and what it is and what it isn't. Forgiveness is not saying I'm condoning what the person did. It is not condoning what has happened. Or it is not making light of something that has happened to you because some of those things can be devastating. Some things it dilutes what's going on. If I forgive them, it gives them a right to do it again. No, it doesn't. First of all, forgiving is not condoning, placing a low value on what happened. Those are two different categories. Let me give you an illustration. Christ died on the cross for our sins, correct? We go to him in prayer. First of all, we are baptized into Christ and our sins are what? Forgiven. Does that mean he condoned everything I did? No. So now you can start to see that there's a difference between condoning and not making light of a situation, but also the idea of forgiveness, which is a mental attitude. Not only does he not condone it, but he forgives it totally. So principle number one that we have to get into our head is, is that it's not condoning what was done, but it's trying to resolve an issue that is going on with me personally, in my mind, and in my heart. And I have to resolve that. It's not forgetting either what happened. It is not giving a license to somebody to allow them to continue doing what they're doing. It is none of those things. If there is an abusive relationship, you need to get out of it. Hopefully, it will cause a change so that there will not be that continuing go on. But you do not have to stay there at that time. You can separate until it can be rectified. Some people also are just plain toxic to you. Whenever you get together, it is like fire and gasoline, and you know it. So you don't have to be around somebody who is toxic to you. I can forgive, but in the best interest of both parties involved, I don't have to have fellowship, I don't have to be in the same room, and I don't even have to have you in my eyesight. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 on the slide will tell you, In verse 11, we studied this a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, but it says, But now I have written to you, 
not to keep company with any man that is called a brother who be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, a railer, a drunkard, or an extortioner. No, not even with such a one do you eat. And what is eat? Fellowship. You don't have to fellowship. You don't have to be around those who are walking outside of the guidelines of what is right and wrong. The church in Thessalonica was also having problems with this. They had a lot of these kind of characters in their midst. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says this, beginning in verse 10. For even when we were with you, I taught you and commanded you these things, that if anyone would not work, neither should they eat. We hear that there are those that walk among you disorderly, and they're not working at all, but they have become busybodies. Now, them that are such, we command and we exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they need to work and eat their own bread. But you, you've got to take care of your side. Don't be weary in well-doing. But if they obey not our word by this command, by the, any of the words of this epistle, note that person. Have no company with them that they might be ashamed. Yet don't count them as an enemy, but admonish them as a brother. If they work, if they don't work, if they go outside lines. That word for disorderly is a military term. It means to walk in rank. It means when your drill sergeant says, left, right, left, right, your steps are in tune. And let me tell you, from practicing that day after day, if you're the one that's out of step, it's very visible. They can see it, and you're going to get wrapped on your brain bucket with their cane. So you can tell when somebody is not walking orderly. And he says, if they're not walking orderly, if they don't listen to what we've taught you, if they don't listen to the Word of God, then note that person and don't have company with them. But what is my responsibility? To pray for them? to treat them as a brother when I do see them, to admonish them so that they change who they are. But that doesn't mean that I associate and become like them. I remove until they bring their standard up to the word of God. That is what it talks about. And when it says also that you're not to hang with them, that word there means to mix with. All of you ladies who maybe baked cookies this last week for Kairos. Remember them in their prayers because they are finishing up today. They will have their ceremony about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock today. So pray that God's word has been effective there. But if you've baked those cookies, what did you have to do? You had to get the flour and the vanilla and the sugar and the chips and then the chocolate chips. What did you do with that? You mixed it together to make something. What happens when you mix together all of these things? It becomes one thing then, doesn't it? So that is the word that's here, that with those who are unruly, don't mix together with them so that you don't become like them and you're all identified as the same thing now, as a cookie. You stay as a flower if they are not uh, abiding in the word that we have given to you. So, say you had a bad business deal with somebody. You had a partner and things went really bad. Does forgiving them mean that I have to go back in business with them? No. 
I can forgive them, but I can say I am not doing business with you again. I will do it on my own. So that's the point that is trying to be made here. Not to become angry, not to become seeking revenge, not to be bitter, but to move on and get all of that rid from who you are. Forgiveness is also different from justice and consequences. The actions and the choices that are made by people, if they violate a law, then the consequences still come even though you forgive them. If someone is robbing me, I don't say, oh, don't only take my wallet, but look, I've got all kinds of stuff in the trunk. Here, take all of this too. No, that's not what you do. You're going to call the police as soon as you can, right? Because there's consequences that goes along with it. I can forgive them for what they did, but that doesn't mean that I continue to let them do what they were supposed to do. Legal matters are legal matters. God still, when he forgives us, sometimes by the choices we made, we still pay the consequences. You remember a while back, you know, two weeks ago was six months that we've been here together. And the first lesson just about was David at Nob. He did some things and he had to pay consequences for those. Even though God forgave him, even though God loved him and he was the friend of God and the apple of his eye, he still faced the consequences for the actions he did even though God loved him and forgave him. So if they've wronged us, then it's proper that justice be handed out as well or they don't listen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says this, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We have to look diligently at ourselves, lest any of us fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up within us trouble us and defile us and derail us. Anger, jealousy, envy, Revenge are all factors that are in our minds and become a part of us. And if we don't get rid of the seed, it becomes a root. And a root of bitterness will take over who you are. Those little seedlings from the maple trees, when they spring up, they're pretty easy to pick out, aren't they? But the longer you let it go... I've got a couple trees now that I've let go that now I'm going to have to take a chainsaw to them because even the tractor won't pull it out. And that's what it's talking about, a root of bitterness. If you allow it to stay within you, it will grow to such extent that it will overpower you and overcome you. We have to make peace and we have to get out of that path of revenge. Now in Judges 15, we will see a few days in the life of Samson. One of the judges of Israel... And if he was around today, man, I would picture him as some, some, after reading about him, like a biker dude. You know, leather jacket, testosterone driven. Samson was that kind of a man. Whenever I read about him, he was always up to something. So he's big and he's strong and he knew it, but he was also immature and childish at times. But God had a plan for him. To bring you up to speed for Judges 15 and all the way through Judges 14, there's a there's a big to-do. He, he liked a gal of the Philistines. He went down to Timnah. He saw her. 
He said, I like this woman. He told his folks, get her for me. And they were like, oh, son, is there never a time that you like one of the children of Israel? Why are you going outside? And he says, get her for me. She pleases me. So they made a trip down there, and they set everything up. They came back home, as they do in those days. Part of the betrothal process was you would come home, prepare a place for her, and then you would go back and take her for your bride and bring her back. So on the way back now, some things happened with um, the lion and honey. And to make a long story short, he, he designed a riddle around that. And since he was from out of the Philistines, when he came to marry her, they, they gave him 30 men of their people as his groomsmen. And he made a riddle with them, kind of this little thing, I'm a Hebrew and you're a Philistine, so tell me. Can you figure out this riddle? They couldn't. And there's seven days in this marriage process. And for seven days, they hounded his wife and she hounded him. Tell me the riddle. Tell me the riddle. Why have you not included me? And he finally told her on the seventh day and broke down. They came back and they explained the riddle. And the bet was... 30 pieces of clothes for them, or they give him 30 pieces of clothes. In his anger, he leaves there and goes down to Ashkelon, and he slays 30 men, removes the clothes from them. He kills 30 men, removes their clothes, and brings them back and throws them, and he leaves in anger and does not take his bride at that time because he's angry. So now we get to chapter 15. We get to chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him in. For you see, whenever he left in anger, the father said, My daughter cannot be treated like this. She can't be disgraced on her wedding day. So the best man... He gave her hand in marriage to the best man. But now Samson's went home. He's cooled off. And he's like, I'm going back to get my wife again. Now, guys, I always thought that flowers, chocolate, all of that was good. I have been wrong all of my life. The secret to get them back in good spirits is a goat. Because, I mean, Samson is a man's man, right? I mean, what does he do? He says, I'm going back with a goat. I wish I had known this a lot earlier in life. I really do. It would have saved me a lot of trouble. But he brings a goat, and he comes up, and he knocks on the door, and the goat's going to get him into his wife's room. The father says, oh, no. I thought you hated her. You left. I gave her hand in marriage to your best man. How do you think that went? And then he says, oh, but wait, because he could see the anger building already. And he says, wait, wait, she's got a younger sister. Take her. Isn't she pretty too? And he's like, oh, no. And this quick, we've went from a goat and a guy asking for forgiveness to Jerry Springer. Next week, we're going to have a strong man who brought a goat, but his wife was given to the best man and see what happened. 
Things spiral out of control quickly, don't they? Things can go very quickly. Now, if you look in verse 3 of what he says to them, Samson now says, because you did that, because you gave that my wife to him, I have a right to get even with the Philistines, and I will really harm them. So he went and he caught, uh, get this, he caught 300 foxes. I told you this was a crazy story. He caught 300 foxes, and he ties them tail to tail in pairs, and he fastens a torch to every pair of tails, and he lights the torches, and it's the time of the wheat harvest, so they have all this wheat stacked up in their shocks, and he takes these 300, 150 pairs of foxes, lights the torches, and turns them loose through the wheat harvest, burns everything up. Wow, can you imagine? I don't know about you. I've, I've shot a fox because he was after my chickens. But most of the time, they're pretty sly. You, you can't just go up and catch them. He caught 300 of them. How in the world, as I'm sitting here studying this, how in the world does he tie them together? I mean, they got teeth. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they don't like fire. So how in the world is he handling all of this stuff? I don't know, but he does. But what I want to concentrate on is verse 3. Because you did this, I now have the right to do whatever I want to you and to inflict harm on you. So after he turns loose all of the foxes and they burn everything up, the Philistines are mad. This is really a my God versus your God thing. Because who provides the wheat and who provides the harvest and who provides for you? Their God is Dagon, his God is God Almighty. So this is really a battle of nationalities now and gods. And the Philistines in verse 6, they ask, who did this? And he says, Samson. He's the one that the Timnonite man didn't give him his wife and handed it over to one of his companions. So now the Philistines, you know what they did? To retaliate for what Samson did, they don't go to Samson, they go to the Timnonite man and the girl. And what does it say happened? Burnt the house down. You took fire and burn our crops. I'm going to burn the house down with them in it. Capital punishment now for something to people who didn't actually perform what had happened. But in their mind, this was the right way to handle the situation. This is how I handle right from wrong. So now, Samson comes back. And he says this in verse 7. Now, since you acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and he slaughtered many of them, it says. And then he went down and stayed at a cave in the rock of Edom. Look closely at those words again. I won't stop until I enact my revenge upon you And I ask, when is that? When is there enough collateral damage between the two sides that you can finally say we're even? When will both sides ever say, okay, we're good, we're even? I don't think it ever happens. The thing with revenge and anger, that root of bitterness grows like a tree. And it continues 
to grow. And it always escalates. It always escalates the problem. The more you think I'm getting even, the more they think they have to get even. And it will never stop. It will continue to escalate. There's never any peace. Now look at verse 9. Because of what he's ready to do now. The Philistines have now retaliated. And they set up camp in Judah. They spread out near the town of Lehi. We got a whole army now of the Philistines have now marched on Judah. Verse 10, the people ask, why have you come to fight us? The Philistines replied, to take Samson prisoner, now get this, to do to him as he did to us. This thing ain't stopping. Okay, round three has now begun of this match. It's never going to end. It means war. Now we have the entire army of the Philistines encamped around and they're, they're ready to risk war. And didn't we just start out with a goat? And I'm sorry. And now we've got an army out here saying we got to do to him what he's did to us. Verse 11. So 3,000 men of Judah now went down to get Samson. Well, that's a good idea. They know about him. It's going to take a bunch of us. So now we got 3,000 men going down to Samson to the cave, and they say to him, man, don't you realize that, that we report to them right now? They are over us. They are our rulers, and look what you're doing to them, and we got an army out here ready to come and get us because of what you have done. Look at Samson's reply at the end of verse 11. I merely did to them what they did to me. Here we go. Back and forth again. I'm just doing to them. That makes it all right. Because see they did it to me too. So everything I'm doing is okay in my eyes. Because I'm just doing to them what they did to me. Let's pause. He's saying everything I did is justified. It's okay. I'm justified in what I did because they did it to me. Back in verse 3. Oh. You gave my wife away. Now I have the right to do something to you. Verse 7, you burned them up. Wait till I enact my revenge on you. Now, I'm just merely doing to them what they did to me. The mindset is not only prevalent in Samson and the Philistines, but a lot of times in me as well. And we have to get rid of that. We have to turn it around. Verse 12. They now say to Samson, We've come to tie you up, and we're going to hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me. (laughs) Agreed. If you'll come along with us, we don't want no trouble. Just let us tie you up, and we'll take you. We won't kill you. So they do that. And they bind him up with two new ropes, and they lead him back from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the army sees that Samson is out in front and being marched to him, and they shout in this big victory shout. And when it does, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and his ropes broke like charred uh, flax. The bindings dropped from his hand. And then, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men with this jawbone. I'm going to tell you, it's got some sharp edges and it's heavy, and I could see where he could do some damage. 
And then he made up another little poem. This poem's what got him in trouble in the first place with those 30 men. And it says, With a donkey's jawbone I made donkeys of them. I have made donkeys of them with a donkey's jawbone, and I killed a thousand men. And when he's finished speaking, the place was called Ramoth Lehi, or in other words, Jawbone Hill. This thing is going back and forth. Samson does what I would have done. Just pick up a jawbone of a donkey. They're laying around everywhere, aren't they? (laughs) Don't you just marvel at the provision of God like the Bible, God hit me on the head with it. Gave him what he needed. Samson needs something to fight the army. He's got a jawbone. God provided right there. God provided this. You know how hard it is to find a jawbone of a horse or a donkey? It ain't easy. Been searching the internet for a long time. And I put out here to a few of the people I said man I need a jawbone of a horse or a donkey and and Eddie and Lisa you know they're with cowboys for Christ and they've got horses and and they said we don't have one but let us check because we got weird friends and I took that as a compliment because I thought they were talking about me and I said no no other ones do you know next day she said found one I said how'd you find one Now get this, here we've been looking for this for such a time as this. She said, I put it on Facebook and my friend immediately responds back that my dog brought from a field a jawbone of a horse and laid it at my feet just a couple of days ago and I thought, what am I supposed to do with this? And she said, I took it and just tossed it over in the weeds. That's because two or three days later, there's going to be a call needing a jawbone of a donkey. That's why the dog brought it there, and God provides, doesn't he? God does. Isn't it marvelous how he works? But what about this revenge thing? What about jawbones? What about weapons? It's got to end with forgiveness. Somebody got to drop the jawbone. Can't keep going back and forth you got to drop it. You know why? Revenge is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not my place to do that. And believe you me, if you allow God to enact revenge and not you, He can do it so much better than we can. He's so much better at revenge and repayment. And He knows the proper thing to do in all of this. It's tough. It ain't easy to give it up. I'll tell you. It's not easy to give up and pray instead of revenge. Because it feels so good. Revenge can be the form of gossip. Revenge can be a cold shoulder. You know, somebody did something to me at work, so I get my buddies and just say, turn the cold shoulder to them. We're not going to include them in anything. Those are revenge factors, aren't they? taking them down a little bit in the way you talk, treating them like they don't exist, making cutting remarks about them. Revenge faces us in a lot of different ways. Listen to how Paul breaks into our situation here in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right 
in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? Yeah, not the other guy. As much as it depends on you, me, it's got to be personal. Live at peace with everyone. Remember, Samson, I'm only doing what they did to me. I have the right now to do this. No. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary. Now here comes the tough part. We can all start to think, eh, I might be able to start this forgiveness process. But now what? You're asking me to pray for them? To wish them well? Here's what you do if you want God's revenge to start enacting. You stop doing, you start praying. And when you say, God, give them food, give them water, give them blessings for their life, what does it say happens? You heap coals of fire upon their head. And you know what? It takes them away from me because I am not taking the place of God right now because it is his place to repay those things. He says, leave room for God's wrath. Another reason why I don't need to do this because every one of us has our own code of conduct, our own ideas of what's right and wrong, and our own ideas of what the punishment should be for those things. They may not be consistent. One day, I might forgive something, and the next day, I might chew your head off for it. I'm not always consistent, depending upon mood and who and all, all kinds of factors, but God is consistent. God is just, and that's why it is up to Him to fairly handle the situations and not be... Because if I try to do it according to my standard of what's right and wrong, then I want to do it on my timetable. See, God's patient. He's not willing. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is long-suffering. Me, I'm short-suffering. Fuse like that. So he says, don't you take over this. Otherwise, I do it on my timetable because I think, I can't let them get away with that. Have you ever thought that? If I don't do something, they're going to get away with it, and we can't let that happen. No. Nobody ever gets away with anything. God knows, and he handles it his way and on his timetable. And that's the hard part for us to pray for them, to give them drink, and that goes against my ways of reasoning, but that's what he says to do. Because if I don't, I have now usurped God's authority in the matters that he has the right to handle. And he can repay much better than I can. Trust me, he can. And in doing this, we put coals on them and not on me. You remember, um, you say, God, I don't like how you're doing your job. You're not doing it fast enough, quick enough, hard enough. I'm going to assume control and take over. You remember when we talked in Matthew 7 about judge not that you be not judged. Why for what judgment you judge it will be measured back out to you. That's what this is talking about. 
if I enact my rage and my revenge back out with the judgment that I felt was right is going to come back to me. Remember David? Whenever Nathan approached him and talked about the little lamb that got taken by the man who had plenty but decided to take it from the other guy and David gave fourfold thing of what should happen. You remember what happened to David? Nathan said, you're the man. It's what happened with, with you and Uriah. And he said, you will repay fourfold. Even though he was forgiven, he still paid with the lives of four of his children. Think about it before you enact your revenge because you don't know what might come back at you. Stay out of the way and let God do it. He is the righteous judge. 1 Peter 2 has this to say about Jesus and revenge. It says... Stay out of the way. Let God have control. Feed him, water him. And look, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, yet he died for those who were sinful. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't hurl them back. He didn't retaliate. But he went ahead and suffered. He made no threats. Instead, you know what it says Christ did? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He trusted himself and the others to him who judges justly. And that's what I do. As when I am able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the word of God... I become more spiritually matured where I trust God more and me less on handling my problems. I can turn them over to him. But when I act like Samson and say, I have the right to do this. Oh, I can't wait to get my revenge. Because you did this, I will not rest. Then I have rejected God from his rightful place and I have become the judge. So as our worship team makes their way on back up, the jawbone. You know, dropping the jawbone and doing the things that align our hearts with the Word of God is what becomes important then, isn't it? And through that, it also increases our faith and trust in Him. I know I need to ask God for strength to allow me to be able to do this because it's not easy. Today, you might just start in some way of making that progress because things happen over a long time, that root of bitterness we talked about. Something that might have been going on for 30, 40 years is not going to end in a second. It's going to take some time. But allow it to happen. Start the process of unfolding all of it. Revenge is the way of our enemy. Think about it. Why is Satan after each one of us? Because he tried to usurp God's authority. God casting down says, I am in authority. And now, in revenge to God, he wants to take God's creation that he loves and enact revenge by getting us to spend eternity with him in the lake of fire that was created for the devil and his angels. In revenge... Against God, he's after you and I. Just like in revenge against Satan, or Samson, 
turning fire off onto their crops. They didn't go to Samson. They killed his father-in-law and his wife. Satan's the same way. He's after all of us because of the revenge factor to get back at God. Revenge is one of his tools. He wants me to be angry and spiteful and hurt. And even though it drives me crazy, I've got to turn it over to God and allow him to have his way in my life. On the next slide, go ahead and and give us the next slide. Revenge. As I was studying this about revenge, I came across this slide. Not the slide, but the quote, and I put the slide with it. But the quote from Confucius from years and years ago. He says that whenever you embark on your journey of revenge, dig two graves. You know why? Make one for yourself because the judgment you meet out is coming back. What happened with Samson? He kept on and on. If you continue his story, he doesn't give up. He gets his eyes gouged out. They're making him perform in front of them. At the end, he asked them to put him his hands by the pillar so that he can rest. And he asked God for one more strength so that I can have revenge on them for putting my eyes out. He pushed over the pillars. It fell. There was more than 3,000 dignitaries on top. And it says in his death, he killed more people than he did during his life. But you see, his grave went along with him. When you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two, because one of them will be your own. So that's why I have to learn to drop the jawbone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy and divine word, and we thank you for the example of Samson, that we may... Not live in a life that ratchets up revenge and turmoil in our life. But we give it all to you. And as much as, in, as is possible within us, allow us to live peaceably with all people. May we be challenged by what we've heard and may it reside within our minds as we go in our life from place to place. In Jesus' name, amen. Still